Good morning again. I hope you know by this point that you are loved. We love you and we're thankful that you're here. Not only does First Baptist Church love you, but your Heavenly Father who knows you intimately loves you. And sending His Son, Jesus Christ, He showed His love. It's so great to be together this morning on our fourth and final week of Advent. But before we jump into today's sermon, that last song that we sang, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel, I love that song. If you'd love to hear it by a choir of 76 kids, you have to go to our Facebook page or to the First Baptist YouTube channel, our Christmas program, which was on Friday. Uh, This platform was filled with children singing that song along with many other beautiful songs and scripture readings, so be sure to check that out sometime, and uh, thank you again, Mark, for your wonderful directing of our Christmas program. If you didn't pick up this book on your way in, make sure you pick one up on your way out. We still have copies of it, and we'd like you to have one. If you have a family member or a neighbor or someone else that you'd like to share it with, you can take one with you. Uh, We will still have them out on Christmas Eve as well, but make sure you have one of these and you can enjoy reading through. We've been exploring a playlist from the familiar gospel of Luke. While these may not be songs that we regularly sing at Christmas time, they are songs that make us think, songs, songs that are made to change us as we consider four important questions about Christmas. Last Sunday in the angel's song, we answered the question, how did God come? The way he came was very miraculous, but it was also very unexpected. He came to a lowly manger. He was laid to rest instead of a crib. He was in a stable in Bethlehem. The king of creation came in a very humble way. And today, in our fourth song, we have Simeon's song. We're going to answer the final question, how did God do it? How did he do what, you may ask? How would God save and redeem his people? In your bulletin, there's an insert, and you can take notes on that. And if you're watching online and you go to faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist, you can find all of the notes there as well. We want you to be able to see what's happening. So today's question, how did God do it? Two weeks ago, we answered the question, why do you need God? We wouldn't have Christmas. We wouldn't be celebrating. We wouldn't have trees. We wouldn't have presents under the tree. We wouldn't have stockings. We wouldn't be singing all of these joyous songs at Christmas time if Jesus had not come into the world. Even as we look at the world's version of Christmas, which sometimes leaves Jesus out completely, we still have Santa, who's remembered as St. Nicholas, who brought gifts to people. Why did he do that? Because God gave the world the first Christmas gift. He gave his son to the world. So we wouldn't have any of these celebrations if it wasn't for our need for a Savior. So today's question of how did he do it relates directly to that question of why do we need God? How did he do what? How did he save us? Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. Every one of us, every human being ever born, except for the Son of God, was born separated from God due to our sin. 
And it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all don't measure up to God's perfect righteousness. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're born wanting to be in charge of everything. You know that feeling, right? Especially at Christmas time when you want everything to go just right and your version of just right somehow is different than everybody else's version of just right. Have you ever noticed that? Or maybe you have people in your life like me who move the ornament just a little bit to the side so you can see that other ornament, right? There's our version of the world as it's right is not always everybody else's. And we're all doing that. That's what causes conflict between us because we all want what we want. Even seeing our children, as sweet as they were up here this morning, we love our kids, you know from a very young age that they want what they want. Even before they can form it into words, they scream, give it to me, I want it now. You know those actions and you know those screams. And then when they have the words, it's mine, right? Mine, 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 mine. But God is our true authority. He's the one who calls us to righteous, holy living. He is the authority instead of us. And we all fight that because we want to be in charge. We want to be the authority. We need our sins to be forgiven. We need to be set free from that constant pull to do things our way. We need to be saved because we can't do that ourselves. We can't be redeemed. We can't be freed from the slavery of sin, the control of sin in our lives. We can't do that on our own. So we needed a Savior. And today, as we hear in Simeon's song, there's a glimpse at how this tiny baby is going to change the world forever. The arrival of Jesus Christ started the calendar over again. How's that for a historical changing event? People who would go back and say, that never happened. Well, why did we change our calendar? Why were hospitals formed to lovingly care for sick people if God's love wasn't in people to do that? Universities were created so that people could study and read Scripture and understand God's Word. All of these developments that we think were just because people are so great all happened because Jesus came into the world, and he brought light into the darkness. We love seeing baby Jesus in the manger, but we can't forget that he grew up to save the world through his greatest sacrifice. Our fourth singer, our fourth song today is a man named Simeon, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. You can turn there. Luke 2 tells us that Simeon was a righteous and devout man. He was seeking to live a holy life, to please God in all that he did. He obeyed God's laws. He wanted to please God with his life. And he was also waiting his whole life since he was a little boy and started hearing the prophets read in his community. He was waiting for the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, Israel to be consoled of their pain, to have a remedy for their sickness. He was waiting for the promised Messiah to come and save his people. Israel's pain 
and suffering would be relieved. So let's listen to what happens when he sees the baby Jesus in Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph. We're in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 25 down to 34. You can follow along in the screen or pull out a Bible in front of you. <clears throat> Luke 2, 25 to 34. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, here's his song, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his mother, father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." Verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit specifically told Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he would die. That's prophecy. That's God telling someone, this is what's going to happen in the future. And I don't know how long in his life he knew this was coming, but from that time that it was revealed to him, he was looking forward to the Messiah. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews had been looking for the Messiah. And this man, Simeon, knew that he would come in his lifetime. It doesn't tell us this, but do you think he was a spokesperson for that? Do you think he went around telling other people, the Messiah is coming and he's going to come before I die? Wouldn't that be exciting if we knew Jesus was going to come back in your specific lifetime? Wouldn't you tell people, make sure you know him, make sure you're ready for him. He's coming back while I'm still alive. When you live in obedience to God, when you're continually listening to Him, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit's prompting and direction. And today, that's all through God's Word. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to us individually with prophecies. He doesn't come to us individually and tell us, you're, you should go buy that stock or you should move to this place. He encourages us, He nudges us, He pushes us towards God's will for our lives. And that's all revealed in Scripture. So when you have a decision, as you're praying, God is going to help you see what would be the way that I could most glorify God. Whatever this decision is, if I go left or right, which way is going to bring glory to you most, God? That's the way I should go. That's unusual that the Holy Spirit would speak to people. It happens occasionally in Scripture, but not a lot. It's not like everybody was constantly hearing, wear this tie today, make sure you bring an extra pair of sandals because you're going to lose one. The Holy Spirit wasn't telling people that all throughout. It was 
certain prophets and certain people. But on this very day, when Simeon woke up, the Holy Spirit said, go to the temple. Go to the temple. Make sure you're there today. And Simeon saw that prophecy come true. He saw the Messiah in baby Jesus. He was there in his mother's arms as, his, as Joseph, Mary's husband, brought him into the temple. Today, as we have God's all-sufficient, complete word, God no longer speaks directly to us, but the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. The Holy Spirit brings Scripture to our minds to help us deal with difficult situations. The Holy Spirit may bring a person to your mind so that you would pray for that person or maybe reach out and call them or go visit them. God put you on my heart today, and I know you've had those situations, but the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you things like, go buy that stock or this is the job you should take. God reveals himself through his word and through his way. Verse 27, again, is the place where he says, you need to be in the temple. God is going to bring the Messiah to you today. Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to Jerusalem to dedicate their firstborn son and to offer a sacrifice. And that was part of the law. On the eighth day after circumcision, you bring your firstborn and you offer him back to God as an offering. You don't leave him there at the temple, but you say, God, here is my son. He's the first one. Just like the first of their fruit, the first of their herd and their flocks, the first, the best of everything, you offer back to God and say, God, this one is yours. And I hope you've done that, not just with your firstborn, but all of your children. I hope you would thank God for them and say, God, please use them however you will. If you call them to be missionaries in a foreign land, I'm going to let them go. If you call them into ministry, I'm going to encourage them. If you call them to teach a Sunday school class, I'm going to make sure that I do everything to encourage and help them do that. Are you willing to give your kids back to God? Grandparents, are you willing to see your grandkids go anywhere knowing that they're serving God and doing what's best for them? <clears throat> That's what God calls us to do. You can hear my throat's a little scratchy, so please forgive me. So Simeon heard this prophecy directly from the Holy Spirit. You are going to see the Messiah, but Isaiah also prophesied. In chapters 24, in 40, in 66, all of these things helped reveal how the Messiah would come. Listen to Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. This week, as I was preparing my message, I listened to Handel's Messiah, and you can hear those words from Isaiah all through the beautiful music of the Messiah. 
This is also talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who is going to come announcing Jesus. But specifically, Israel, you will be comforted. Israel has been waiting for salvation. Their sin would be forgiven. They would have peace. Their warfare with God was ended. They would be consoled and satisfied. They would rejoice in having complete peace with God. Simeon knew these scriptures. And when he saw Mary and Joseph walk in with baby Jesus, he knew that this was the Messiah. And the passage tells us that he took baby Jesus into his arms. He blessed God. He blessed Mary and Joseph. And he's thinking, now, now I can die in peace. I've seen salvation, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. The salvation was come in the Son of God, the Messiah. He's a light of revelation. He's going to show salvation even to the Gentiles. Israel would be glorified as the covenant with Abraham from so many years earlier was fulfilled. In Genesis 12, 3, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not only would Abraham's descendants be blessed, but through the Messiah, everyone on earth, Gentiles included, would be blessed through salvation that would come through the Messiah. This was should have been common uh, words for Israel. They've heard this over and over again, that the Gentiles would be included in God's salvation. But as we see back in the Gospel of Mark, we'll finish that up in January, I promise. We see that the religious leaders thought that it was all about them. It was just about Israel. We don't want Gentiles included in this. Why are you talking to those people, Jesus? You can't really be the Messiah because you're talking to Samaritan people. You're talking to all of these people. You're not the Jewish Messiah we were looking for. Simeon got it because that was revealed through the prophets and revealed to him. Mary and Joseph marveled. They were amazed at what this total stranger was saying to their son. Remember, they're from Nazareth, 70 miles from Bethlehem, and then they made the trip from Bethlehem into Jerusalem. They are way far from home. And this, we assume, old man in the temple says, can I hold your baby? What do you think Mary's thinking? This is the Messiah. I can't just pass him off. But she sees in his eyes how excited he is because this is the Messiah. And this total stranger praises God and says, now I have seen my Lord. I have seen the Son of God. Just like the angel Gabriel had visited both Mary and Joseph and told them, your son will be the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Now this total stranger says, yes, your baby is the Son of God. How encouraging that must have been for Mary and Joseph. We think about how isolated they might have been as Mary was pregnant before being married. All of the social issues around that, how maybe family disowned them. We don't know all of those details, but we know the culture. It was a culture of shame. If you did anything outside of the rules, you were cut off from everyone. And now here's this man in the temple saying, yes, 
Your son is the Messiah. He is the son of God. Don't you love how God uses other people to confirm his word? That's one of the way the Holy Spirit works. When you're praying about something and you're trying to make a difficult decision and someone else says, I could see you doing that. I could see you teaching that class or helping in the nursery or I could see you as a missionary sharing God's word. And that's something you've been praying about. That's how the Holy Spirit encourages and uplifts us using other people in our lives. It also shows us that God is fully in control of everyone. Mary and Joseph knew that Simeon couldn't have known these things unless it was revealed to him by God himself. But then Simeon had some hard things to share with Mary. We've been talking about a playlist. We've been talking about music. We're thinking about Christmas carols. But now we're into the country western part of the music. We're into the blues, the heartache, and the pain. Listen to these final verses of what Simeon had to say, verses 33 and 35. 33 through 35. His father and his mother marveled at what he was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. These are not encouraging words. A fall of Israel? A sign that's opposing people? A sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon told Mary about the joy and the blessing of God's salvation, but that it would come at a terrible cost. This child will cause the rising and fall of many in Israel. He will be opposed by many. Ephesians 2.6 says that those who are saved by God's grace will be raised up and seated with Christ in heaven. Many will be raised up. But in Romans 9, 32 to 33, Paul speaks about the Jews who didn't seek righteousness by faith in the Messiah. To them, Jesus would become a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, because they refused to believe that he actually was the Son of God. But whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Jesus will bring the rising of many, but also the fall. He will be a stumbling block. He will be offensive to so many people. And then Simeon looks into Mary's eyes. I don't know how he could say this without even tearing up. A sword will pierce your own soul. John 19.25 tells us, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was standing at the foot of the cross, looking up at her son, the promised Messiah, the one that she gave birth to, the one that she raised and loved for his entire life. She saw him hanging on a cross with common criminals, blood dripping from his head, pouring from his hands and his feet, and then the final thrust of a spear into his side. And Mary felt that spear go right into her heart. Any of you that have lost loved ones know the pain that that separation brings, especially if you've ever lost a child. 
That has to be one of the most difficult things that humans can face, to lose your child. And Simeon is telling Mary right from the beginning, while all of these joyful things are happening, a sword is going to pierce your soul. This is not going to be easy, Mary. He finished with the purpose of it all. The thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As many of God's people, Israel, rejected Jesus, the Son of God, especially those religious leaders who condemned and crucified their Messiah, the true nature of their hearts was revealed. They really didn't want to honor God. They didn't want to obey them, obey Him with all of their hearts. They just wanted to look good for everyone else. They wanted to be adored by the people as they walked down the street in their fine robes with all the tassels, as they made sure they stayed cleaner than everybody else, as they looked down their nose at the people that they were called to serve. That was what was in their hearts, pride. Look how great I am. I am serving God in the temple. I'm obeying all the laws. I'm doing everything right. God's going to be so pleased with me. But Jesus revealed the true nature of their hearts. He said, you are like tombs that have been painted white on the outside, so they look bright and shiny, but inside are rotting bones, decaying flesh. There's nothing good in your hearts. You look good on the outside, but inside there's death. Your bill has been paid. It's our final thought for this morning. Have you ever experienced the satisfaction, the relief of seeing a long-term debt paid off? Anybody? We've had several home mortgages over the years as we've lived in different places, but we never lived anywhere long enough to pay off a mortgage and get one of these statements paid in full. I had a couple of small car loans, and I got those back when they were down to zero. But when you got those initial statements and it said, this is how much you've borrowed, and this is how much you owe, and this is how much you paid this year, and you pretty much still owe the same amount, all of those interests that pile up up front, that's really discouraging, isn't it, for many years. But as you get closer, you start seeing that balance going down, and you finally get that stamped, paid in full. The house is yours. The car is yours. Whatever it is belongs to you. The bank can't come back knocking on your door saying, you haven't paid. You owe us this property. You own it. It's paid in full. Your debt is totally covered. <clears throat> Maybe you've had a mortgage burning at your church. We did that once in one of the churches that we went to, and the church got together, and they had that paid in full paper, and they put it in a little metal container, and they burned it and said, hey, it's gone. There's nothing left of this. We are in the clear. No more debt your bill has been paid. Your bill was paid. Your sin penalty, the wages of sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every one of us has a huge debt and all of our sins from the time we're born until now are listed there. God sees all of them. He knows even the ones in our heart before they become actions. 
And Jesus, dying on the cross, paid your debt. When he said, it is finished, as he hung on the cross, that's what he meant. It's over. Death no longer has a hold on you. You can be free. Your payment is made. But Jesus didn't remain in the grave. Three days later, he came back to life, proving that he really was the Son of God, that he really was the Messiah. He wasn't just another person saying he was the Messiah. He really was. And just as the angels proclaimed Jesus' birth, singing in that choir to the shepherds, angels sat on the tomb of Jesus, sharing different good news. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said he would. So how did God do it? How did he offer redemption? How did he offer salvation to the world? How did he fulfill the promises made to Simeon? to Mary, to Zechariah, to the shepherds? How did he offer forgiveness and full payment of all of our sins? It took his son dying in your place and mine. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. He paid for your debt and mine with his blood, his own life, and he did all of this because of his unbelievable, unconditional, redeeming love for you. Today is our love day of Advent. You heard it in the songs of the kids. You heard it as we lit the candles. Love was God's reason for doing this. Not because you're so great. Not because of your potential and look at what you can do. It's all because he loves you. And he offered his own son to stand in your place, to stand in my place and say, I'll take the penalty, I'll take the punishment instead. I don't want you to suffer, I will take it. You've heard John 3.16 several times today. We're going to read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the gospel. Love is our Advent theme today, God's great love for you. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, to tell us about how awful our sin is. We know that, don't we? And yet, For many Christians, we think that that's our job, pointing out everybody's sin to them and saying, look at you, look at you, look at you. You're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. Jesus didn't come into the world that way. People came to him saying, I'm broken. I need a savior. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Yes, we need to let people understand sin because our world today has turned that completely upside down. So that part of it, we do have to make, help people understand from God's word. It's not me condemning you. It's God saying, here's my standard, live up to it. And no one can. But because of his great love, he sent his son. If you've never confessed your sin to God, if you've never accepted Jesus' payment for your sins, if you've never placed your faith in him 
alone to be your Savior. Let today be that day. Come talk to me after the, Savior, after the service. I'll be out in the lobby. And if you're watching online with us, you can contact me through our website, through our church office. DunkirkBaptist.org is our website. This could be the very best Christmas of your life by knowing Jesus personally, by knowing God, having peace with him, having a relationship with him, waking up every day saying, God, thank you for this new day. How can I honor and glorify you today? Brothers and sisters, those of you who are already in God's family, are you living your life like Simeon? Are you filled and led by God's Holy Spirit instead of trying to run the show yourself? When you wake up, do you have your to-do list and then fit God in wherever you can? Or do you say, God, here's a new day. What do you want me to do? What does your word say I should be doing today? If you knew Jesus was coming back in your lifetime, how would you live differently? We don't know that. He said, I'm coming back and I'm coming back soon. So every generation should be thinking, it's going to happen. I need to be about God's work. I need to be sharing the gospel, sharing his love, sharing the light. It could be today. It could be before we get to Christmas. You don't have to worry about the presents you haven't wrapped yet. You don't have to worry about who's coming and where they're going to be seated around the table. Jesus could come back right this minute. Are we living like that every day? Christmas is the perfect time for bringing someone with you to church, not just saying, would you like to come, but show up at their door and say, come on with me. We have Christmas Eve service left, and then, of course, all of 2023, so I'm not going to cut it off there. You can bring people anytime, but Christmas is a time when people often will say, sure, I'll come. I like Christmas music. Or maybe just because they like you, they'll come with you. Pray for opportunities and then make the most of them when they come. We want to be a lighthouse here in Dunkirk. We want to show the way for lost people. So let's shout the good news on the mountaintops. Guess what song we're going to close in? Go tell it on the mountain. Mark's going to come. We're going to get ready to sing that song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we could be together on this snowy wintry December day, just one week till Christmas. Thank you, God, for Simeon and for his life of obeying you, living a holy and righteous life, looking forward to the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he proclaimed the good news, and thank you that you give us that love and that good news to share with others. Help us to do that, Lord, not only at Christmas time, but throughout the year. May God, the Father of hope, fill you with all peace and joy in believing in his son, Jesus Christ, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow with his great love. I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.